We are in John chapter 10 this morning. If you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. In our study of the Gospel of John, we have seen Christ interact with the Pharisees many times, and many times he has used I am statements. But we have not seen much in the way of the parables that Jesus used in the other Gospels. So if you think about Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what we call the synoptic Gospels, uh, we recognize that within those um, Gospels there's a lot of parables that Jesus uh, speaks with and uses to illustrate. Today we see something close to that in an illustration that Jesus gives as he continues to show who he is and why his ministry is distinctive from the religious leaders of the day. In a not-so-subtle fashion as previously, he calls them exactly what they are. I'll have you remain seated today uh, as I do my scripture reading, the New Testament scripture reading this morning. John chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. I think I said 1 through 10 to begin with, but we're actually looking at 1 through, no, 1 through 10, that's right. I have it written down wrong. All right, so uh, John 10, starting in verse 1, I'll read aloud as you follow along. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said, again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but uh, the sheep do not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. May the Lord add his blessing to the New Testament reading this morning. Would you join me once again in prayer? Lord, this morning as we open your word, we are reminded that the Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit, who inspired these words and the original autographs, is now able to illuminate our eyes and our hearts to an understanding and an application of these truths So we pray this morning, Lord, that that is what you would do by your Holy Spirit in our hearts for those of us who know you. And I pray for those who do not know you that might be in our midst this morning, that they would, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit, come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Lord, we pray that you would attend to our time. I pray that you would continue to humble me and get me out of the way. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage this morning lies against an Old Testament backdrop from the prophet Ezekiel in which the Lord Yahweh is calling out the leaders of Israel, calling out in such a fashion that is applicable to the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Listen to the words of Ezekiel chapter 34, at least in part, this morning, and we'll look at this again next week. But listen to, to the first few verses of Ezekiel 34. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? 
You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. This harsh treatment of the sheep is that to which Jesus refers when he calls himself the good shepherd later in this passage, and we will look at that in the coming weeks. But he begins first by illustrating this point and speaking of the sheepfold and the door into the sheepfold. Of course, not only is Ezekiel 34 in the background of this passage as a contra contra to what Jesus is trying to say that the shepherds of Israel ought to be doing, but we also have in view Psalm 23 when we think of the good shepherd, again, which we'll look at in the coming weeks. When Jesus says he is the good shepherd, we are reminded of Psalm 23, that the Lord is our shepherd. But here is the main idea for this morning. You can see this written for you on the back of your worship folder, or if you're following along at home via the live stream, it should have been emailed to you. The true door is the only way into the sheepfold of God's family. The, tr- the true door, which is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, as he will say, is the only way into the sheepfold of God's family. And I want us to see this morning two aspects of Jesus' teaching on the sheepfold. Two aspects of Jesus' teaching on the sheepfold. And this really enters us into the greater conversation of Jesus as the good shepherd. But we first must see who the wrong and evil and bad shepherds are currently, and that's what Jesus illustrates in these first 10 verses. So firstly, we see this, Jesus illustrates the sheepfold in verses 1 through 6. Jesus illustrates the sheepfold in verses 1 through 6. Look again at verse 1 with me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now we see here at the beginning of this passage something we're very familiar with in the Gospel of John, which is this truly, truly statement, this amen and amen that Jesus begins with. And uh, we have said in the past and explained that rabbis of the day would end their statements with this amen and amen, amen and amen. So be it and so be it at the end. But Jesus begins with so be it. This is true. This is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. This is something that is certain. And, and we must not forget that this is tied to a context. Um, uh, uh, S. Lewis Johnson rightly uh, explains that this truly, truly, we never see a truly, truly actually come at the beginning of something. It usually comes in the middle of something. So what has just happened previous to this? Uh, we have the events of the man who was born blind being made to see by Jesus. And at the end of this uh, passage, the Pharisees say, are we not also blind? Let's look at this together. In uh, verse uh, 39, Jesus said, of of chapter 9, Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. And so it's within this context of uh, Jesus really calling out these religious leaders again that he calls them out in an even greater way with this illustration of the the poor shepherds, those who aren't truly shepherds, they're thieves and robbers who have uh, broken in. And so he says, truly, truly, I say to you, 
He who does not enter the sheep fold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Interesting that he juxtaposes that idea against sheep. These are not sheep who climb in over the wall. These are thieves and robbers. There's something else. The thieves come in to break, or thieves come in to break and to steal. They break in to steal. The thief and the robber come to take the sheep, not to care for the sheep. What has just been expressed previously in John is the deception of the Pharisees, the the blind leading the blind, as it were. Uh, These men who would not admit their spiritual blindness but thought that they were in right relationship with God. Now Jesus is exposing the kinds of anti-shepherds that they are. They're not shepherds at all. They're thieves and robbers. But the one... As opposed to the one who climbs over, the one who enters through the door is the shepherd. Look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The shepherd has access to the sheep the proper way. The gatekeeper, the porter, the watchman, the under-shepherd, as D.A. Carson says, opens the door for him. It's interesting that we see this written here in this way, and uh, we don't want to miss this point that Jesus is making. The gatekeeper opens the door for him. What have the Pharisees and the other religious leaders continued to do with the people of Israel? They've continued to try to keep the door shut so the good shepherd cannot have access to the sheep. In fact, we see Jesus and uh, later on in the Gospel of John lament over Jerusalem saying, how many, how many times have I have gathered you as chicks to a mother hen, but I was not allowed? And he's speaking of the religious leaders there who have kept him away and have falsely claimed that he is of Satan, though they cannot deny his miraculous works. The watchman, the under-shepherd, in this case, would be the prophets, and especially John the Baptist, who said he cleared the path for Messiah to come. Notice as it says here, though, as we move on, in chapter, or verse 3, the sheep hear his voice, that is the voice of the shepherd, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. What a beautiful statement of the good shepherd as he calls himself in verse 11. There's something personal in these words. This is not just some random man who is herding the sheep. This is one who is intimately involved in the life of his sheep. He knows their name. He knows the sheep by their name. Many times uh, that's what would happen. These sheep would get names from their shepherd. They would become like part of the family for the shepherd and his family. He leads them out and they follow him. Why? Because they know his voice. Not only does he name them, he has spent so much time caring for them and shepherding them that they know his voice as distinguished from anyone else's voice. The stranger, however, does not follow, that the sheep do not follow. I look at what it says when he has brought all his own out. He goes before them. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know his, the voice of the strangers. 
The stranger they do not follow. They will flee. They don't know the voice of this strange person. And then in verse 6 it says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. As we observe this, we know in a moment Jesus will explain that, but what is the point of him using this illustration? If he's just simply going to explain it in a moment, why does he begin with this illustration? Well, as I mentioned earlier, we know in other Gospels Jesus uses parable, parables to illustrate truth, but also, it says, to conceal it from those who, whose eyes are blinded. That's what the other Gospels tell us. He uses illustrations for those who have ears to hear, but for those whose eyes are blinded, it is to continue to conceal the truth. It is perhaps the same case here, though ironically he is talking about those who are false leaders, and they are likely the ones who are listening in and not understanding. In in some senses, parables or illustrations like this are always a condemnation for those who do not have ears to hear. That's one of the purposes. It is to, to draw out the distinction between the true and the false. And whenever the false is exposed, it is exposed as that, as the false, and it's also condemning towards those who are false. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. And when he was alone, those around us, Jesus, when, those around him with the 12, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, in other words, they're coming around him, he has given a parable, and and they come and ask, why are you using parables? Why are you speaking in illustrations? Why are you not speaking straightforwardly? Listen to what Jesus says. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Did you hear what Jesus said? He speaks in parables, he speaks in illustrations, so that those who are unwilling to hear and unwilling to see, though they see, they cannot, though they hear, they cannot, lest, he says, they should turn and be forgiven. Does this seem unreasonable for the man who says whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life? Can we reconcile this reality with the one who says whoever believes in him, he shall welcome? Can we reconcile that with if they hear, if they see, they should turn and be forgiven? Clearly these are not in contradiction. But rather, we begin with the idea that mankind is totally unable in and of himself to come to God through Christ, and it must be a move of God for them to be able to see and understand and be forgiven. If they were able to see and understand, they would be forgiven. But as it is, they cannot. And as it is, they need to be have their eyes open to this truth so that they can see and so that they can believe. And the lest they believe there in Mark chapter 4 means that if they were able to see and able to hear, they would turn and believe. But their hearts are hardened. They do not want to believe. They reject Jesus. Again, turning to Ezekiel, we hear a foreshadowing of this truth in the Lord's words to the prophet. Listen to what the Lord says to Ezekiel. Son of man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear but hear not, for they are a rebellious house house. Only the Lord can redeem the rebel. And as of right now, these rebellious leaders 
do not want to see. They do not want to hear. They have had many opportunity to do so. They have seen the Lord Jesus make a man blind from birth able to see. And yet they question who he is. There is indeed a condemnation for those religious leaders who are listening in. They are not the gatekeepers they believe themselves to be. It's sort of uh, an interesting irony here uh, that Jesus uses this idea of the gatekeepers because the religious leaders of that day, especially the Pharisees, would have seen themselves as exactly that, the gatekeepers. They expected that when Messiah came on the scene that he would come and consult with them. They assumed that he would be born in a palace, not in a manger. They assumed that uh, he would be someone of, of great stature, not a, a humble carpenter from a little filthy town called Nazareth. They are not the gatekeepers they believe themselves to be. No, that has been the prophets of old. And as I mentioned earlier, John the Baptist, who indeed is the final who leads the way for the true shepherd to come in, who, of course, the Pharisees hated as well. These have not come in through the door, but they have scaled the walls of the law with their own version that creates loopholes around the law of God, which ought to condemn them. That is their folly. They believe that they are okay with God because they have protected God's law and they follow their own laws, but they have not seen the fact that they need to see themselves as condemned by the law and in need of Messiah. They are the thieves and robbers who, like the false shepherds of Ezekiel 34, have lived off the sustenance of the sheep they were to be giving the sheep and not feeding the sheep, but rather abusing the sheep. This is who they are, and this is what Jesus condemns them as. Thieves and robbers, the Ezekiel 34 false shepherds. But yet they are blind to this reality, and they do not hear what Jesus is saying. They do not see themselves as condemned by Jesus in this statement. Well, just a few points of application here. Number one, there's a warning to we who are under shepherds here in this flock, my brother elders, my brother pastors here at Fellowship Bible Church, that we report to and are under the true shepherd and that we are not to feed off the flock but to feed the flock. Hear me, brothers. We do not want to fall under the condemnation of the Pharisees or the shepherds of Ezekiel 34. We want to be loving, caring Shepherds that care for the sheep, not feed off the flock and abuse the flock. For all of us, as we hear this this morning, let me ask us this by way of application. Are we aware of the false shepherds that make much of themselves and not much of the Lord and are the thieves and robbers who come to abuse the sheep? This ought to help us have our eyes wide open and our hearts tuned in to those that would seek to deceive us and to lead us astray. And we need to listen to the voice of the shepherd. Measure doctrine against Scripture. Do not be deceived. How do we avoid being deceived? Know the voice of the Lord. Know His Word. That's how He speaks to us. He, he has given us His self-revelation in the Bible. Know the voice of the Lord. Know His Word. And then you'll be able to tell the false voice of the thieves and the robbers. Flee, as it were, from the voice of the strangers. Only listen to the voice of the Lord. Jesus now moves on to explain the parable and the different symbols in the illustration, the first of which we will look at this morning in our second point. Jesus personifies the door of the sheepfold. Jesus personifies the door 
of the sheepfold. Look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Here we see another truly, truly statement, this amen and amen, so be it. This is certain, this is true. And then Jesus makes a claim once again about who he is using an I am statement, these uh, famous I am statements, this um, indication that he is Yahweh of the Old Testament, that he is uh, one with the Father as he says at the end of John chapter 10, that he and the Father are one. He says here in this statement, this Yahweh statement of I am, I am the door of the sheep. Before he goes any further into this, he addresses the thieves and the robbers from his illustration. Look at verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Those who came before, he says, are the thieves and the robbers. Jesus is certainly not speaking of the prophets who came before him who declared his coming or of John the Baptist who declared his coming, as we have said already this morning. He is speaking of the current so-called shepherds of Israel. They have robbed the people of many things, but mainly in all of their distrustful activities. They have robbed the people of of a proper understanding of God's law, how they ought to relate to God, and the ability to know the true shepherd when he comes. However, Jesus here gives us this glimmer of hope. He says, but the true sheep did not follow their voice. This is what we call in theology the remnant. There is always a remnant of believers. Even when there are, the large crowds are following after the false teachers, there is always those who hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow him. We think of this in regard to even the 12 who followed with Jesus. And even after there is much doubt put upon Jesus' ministry, they continue to follow. They continue to call him rabbi. They continue to ask him questions, not questioning his authority. There are always those in the midst of the masses, the true sheep who will not listen to the voice of the thieves and robbers but listen to the true shepherd. Jesus is making a division here between the true sheep and those who do not follow him. But for now, he returns to the illustration of the door. Once again, look at the beginning of verse 9. He uses this phraseology, I am the door. I am this declarative statement, once again, from the Lord Jesus. This parallel to the Old Testament use of Yahweh, the great I am. In the Greek, the uh, same terminology that's used in the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. I am the door. The door, of course, symbolizes the entryway. And this is why Jesus speaks of entry in this verse. Look at what it says. I am the door, verse 9, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Notice that after speaking of only the sheep hearing his voice, Jesus qualifies this statement by stating, anyone who enters, anyone who enters. This is true, dear ones. Though we would teach and believe that God from before the foundations of the world would uh, save those whom he elected to himself, the truth is we proclaim the gospel to all creatures, and the truth is anyone who enters in through Jesus Christ will 
be saved. Those who believe will be saved. We know that there are those who will be saved according to God's predetermined plan, and we see here the offer is to anyone. The one who believes, the one who enters in through Jesus, will be saved. However, this is not just a rescue to nothing. This is a rescue to something. It says here that he will go in and out and find pasture. He is in the family and he will be satisfied. That's the idea there. The shepherd will lead them in and out and when he leads them out into the pasture, they will be fed. Unlike the false shepherds of Ezekiel 34 and what the religious leaders had done in Jesus' day up until the coming of Messiah where they were robbing them of even the, the nurture that they needed from the truth of God's word, Jesus says, I have come to open the pastures wide for you to feed on truth. This is not the way it is with the thief and the robber. They come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he says. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. They steal by preying on the less fortunate and binding their consciences with a law that is not God's law, and they make profit from it. They kill by leading the sheep astray into the wilderness where there is no place to feed on truth by lying to them about what it means to be right with God. They destroy by literally sending souls to hell with their false teaching. The unregenerate believe lies. And just as the true gospel is the means by which the elect are brought into the kingdom, the false gospel deceives and leads the unregenerate astray into destruction. That's how Jesus refers to hell. He speaks of it being a place of destruction. And as much as it is true that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy... It is not true of the true shepherd. Look at the last part of verse 10. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. First we see the comparison here. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came, Jesus says, to bring them life. I came. Once again we see that Jesus speaks in this language of coming. He certainly was born concerning his incarnation, but concerning from where he came, he has stated over and over and over again in the Gospel of John that he has come from the Father. He comes from the Father. He is uh, the bread from heaven. He comes down from the Father to do the will of the Father. And here, once again, we see him state his purpose. He comes so that the sheep may have life and have it abundantly. Tying into the idea of the sheep being led to the pasture and being satisfied, Jesus now reveals his purpose once again. And he will reveal in the passage we look at next week the way in which he does this is through his death. He says that he is the good shepherd and the good shepherd gives up his life for the sheep. But he reveals that he comes to give life. Rather than stealing, killing, and destroying, Jesus comes to give life rather than take life. Again, he gives this life by the giving of his own life, as we will see. This life of which he speaks is, of course, eternal life. 
When he speaks of giving life here, he's speaking about uh, the life that is secure for us when we trust in him. That is an eternal life. It begins now and goes on into eternity. It is an already not yet reality of um, being united to Christ. This is the eternal life of which he speaks with uh, Nicodemus about in the evening. And the woman at the well, where he describes it as the well of water that springs from within, speaking of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Of course, this well of life from within we see is what he says about abundant life, that he comes to give life and to give it abundantly. Now think about this. This must be absolutely refreshing to those who are listening in. Think about what they have experienced from the religious leaders. They are beginning to see and formulate in their mind that, no, these Men who have said that they are the gatekeeper of, of God's law, they have, they have been the ones who have stolen from us. They have been the ones who have not given us the truth about God's word. So this, what they're hearing here must be so refreshing. Rather than the burdensome, conscience-binding tactics of the Pharisees, Jesus begins to show here the burden of the conviction of the law for the unregenerate person can only be taken away by the one who can offer life instead of death that comes by the law. In reform circles, we talk about this as the first use of the law. You may have heard me express that from time to time. That first use of the law is this. The law points us to the fact that we cannot perfectly keep it and that we are condemned because of it. That's what the law does. The law exposes our inability to be right with God. And rather than Jesus tying up more burdens on top of the law, he says, enter through me into the sheepfold. Let me be your shepherd and let me take you to places where you can feed and find rest. Dear ones, let me ask you some things this morning. Does this renew your hope and faith? Though we strive to fight against sin and seek to obey the Lord out of love for him, we do so from a place of resting in his grace and mercy, not concerned about winning his favor, but pleased to do his will because he has already given us life and in the way in which he calls us to live shows us that that is an abundant life. It is an abundant life. Are we listening to his voice that declares that sin is defeated and that death will not have the final say? Are we listening to his voice that tells us that we are not to strive for justification, but that he has already declared us righteous and has indeed given us his very righteousness? Are you then encouraging your brothers and sisters with these truths, not seeking to bind up their consciences with man-made rules? That makes us no better than the Pharisees if we do that. The Lord brings us to rest in his completed work. He is the good shepherd. He laid down his life for his sheep and he brings them life and that is an abundant life. Perhaps you're here and you do not know this freedom. The burden of striving to make yourself right with God has brought you nothing but despair. I plead with you that you turn from your self-righteous attempts to the righteous and final work of Christ today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that we can know for sure that you are the good shepherd, that you are the door 
to the sheepfold and that if we enter in through you, we can have life and that is a life that is abundant. Not that it is trouble-free. We know that we are longing, Lord, for the final redemption of our bodies and to be free from sin totally and to be in your presence. But Lord, you promise us that that is the trajectory that we are on now and that the work is completed and that when we strive against sin, we do so from a place of rest because you have completed that work and you have given us your righteousness, Lord. We're not seeking to earn your favor. Lord, let that bring rest to the weary heart that has tried and tried and tried this morning to please you outside of Christ. Lord, would you this morning turn hearts to belief if there are those who do not know you. May you bring rest to a weary soul that is trying to earn your favor, Lord, rather than seeing you as the one who has finished the work and is feeding us from your word and we are following your voice. And Lord, may we encourage one another in these truths, even as we are reminded in the coming weeks of how good a shepherd you truly are. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.